Good morning. I've had the pleasure to get to work with a little bit with uh, with your pastor, and I've grown to to love him. And I uh, I I know that this is a little out of order, and I know that uh, I know that Israel's a pretty provocative topic in any circle that you go to. Uh, we, you know, our organization we were founded. Uh, with 412 folks that got together to listen to the vision of a would-be ministry, and they got together on February 6th of 2006. And uh, today we're on the cusp of breaking 11 million members. We're the largest pro-Israel organization. We're also the largest Christian grassroots organization. And I don't say that to impress you. I don't say that to boast. I just say that to just to put you on notice that I'm not not up here casting a vision of what we hope will come to fruition one day this train has left the station and and uh, and he's the lord has used it in, in a couple of significant ways uh that that will just scratch the surface on but i'd be remiss uh to come into any church on a sunday morning and think that anybody uh is going to have an appreciation for our ministry because before i could ask you you know before you're gonna ask the question well what can i do for israel you first need to ask yourself the question why should i even care about israel and and i am sensitive to the fact that this is a sunday morning and there's probably most likely there's some folks in here first time I've ever sat in this pulpit, so you're all unfamiliar faces to me. Uh, but there's probably some folks that might that might have just stepped in here because you're at a season in your life where you've tried other things and they're, and they're not working. And, and and you've heard about this Jesus and you've heard of, and you've seen people that have a, a stable life and they and they exude a joy that you don't that they don't even know that you're watching them. And you can see something in them that you wish that you had. And maybe you just came in here to visit today to see if maybe you could tap into that. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's a special guest talking about Israel. Man, you, can, you talk about Israel. Mom tells you don't talk about politics and religion. And we kill both birds with one stone when we talk about Israel. But this is not about get, getting you to be a foaming at the mouth Zionist advocate. This is to remind you that your faith rests in a God that is a promise keeper. There's people in this room that know people. There might even be somebody in this room, but there's people in this room that know somebody that, that they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. They're living hand to mouth, and they're sure that they're going to... It's just it's a matter of months before they can't make their mortgage or their rent. And I know what it's like to wait for a biopsy report. It's amazing how you can do a blood test and get the results a few hours the same day, but a cancer test takes weeks sometimes, and that puts you in a place of reflection that's pretty trying. And there's people that they, they may have a wayward son, or, or they may have a marriage that's on the rocks, and I just want to tell you that if you reread your Bible to see what the Word of God says about Israel, the, the worst that's going to happen to you is that you're going to come out the other end Realizing that your faith doesn't just rest in a promise-keeping God. He makes promises that demand miracles to be kept so that he will get our attention. Pastor Keith just recently went to Israel with our organization, and I guarantee you that that he had you know he studied Israel. I, I guarantee you he could you could probably blindfold him and he could probably draw a map of Israel just from his days at seminary school. But but there's even people that are experts through their education in Israel 
they are often just absolutely rocked. Their world is rocked when they go to Israel because it just takes them to places and it gives them an understanding that they just never even thought that they would ever have before. So I just want you to appreciate that when, when, when I say Israel, something's going to come to mind. If I asked Pastor Keith before he went to Israel, and you can throw that Israel is uh, up, uh, image up there. Uh, if, if I asked Pastor Keith before he went to Israel, what's a word that comes to mind when I say Israel? And I'm going to guess that if I asked him that same question after he got back from Israel, it would probably be a different word. If I did a straw poll and I asked all of you, when I say Israel, what's a word that comes to mind? Some of you would say religion or history or security or conflict. Some of you might say biblical, and we can throw that up there. But if I did, and I'm literally making a spectacle out of you all right now, if I'm going to say when I, when I, when, and when I say Israel, when we say Israel, as a, we're looking at Israel as, as almost as though an Orthodox rabbi, when he reads his Torah, when he sees the word Israel, as when we do, he sees a simultaneous reference. He sees one, he sees a piece of geog- reference to a piece of geography in the Middle East, a pretty gnarly piece of geography in the Middle East. And he sees a, a, the reference of the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not, I'm, you know, we, this is, we're, we're kind of on measure time this morning, so I'm, I'm going to keep on track. But when I came, when I came to church for the first time, like some of you might be right now, I was absolutely determined, believe it or not, I would, I was determined to not become a Christian. I was determined to become a better husband and a better father and just a better man in general, but I was going to leave Jesus on the buffet table. And he had an appointment for me that I didn't, Realized was coming, and I've affectionately come to you know refer to him sometimes as Jehovah Sneaky, because he had that appointment for me that that got my undivided attention. But before I before I came to faith, every Saturday morning at six a.m., I was in a Bible study, and we were in the Book of Nehemiah, and going through the Book of Nehemiah, and I asked the fellow facilitating this study months into the study i said wait a minute is this israel like like israel on cnn is this the same israel that we're reading about in the bible is this the same israel that's on the news and they all laughed out loud and they said wherever you see the word israel in the bible just pretend that it says the church there and i and i kind of was i sat back and i and i thought you guys have been telling me there's no mistakes in this book at all and now you're telling me that it doesn't mean what it says. And I had a tough time reconciling that. It would appear I didn't hook my wagon to that thought, or I probably wouldn't be here addressing you today. But the reality is, is if I took a basket and we gathered up all the Bibles in this... No, I'm not going to take a basket. I'm going to ask why I show hands. If I, if I asked you, there's a scripture, there's a passage in your Bible that you stood on, that you clung to and you highlighted if i t- if we gather up all your bibles and we flip through the pages we're going to find highlighters or a mark with a pen or a dog-eared page so that you can get to it right away or a star something with a pen or a pencil or a highlighter just by a show of hands how many of you have marked up your bible so that you could reference that okay look around you okay how many of you have ever taken a bottle of white out to your bible no, just no, just by a show of hands. Just don't be shy. 
Well, that's what this, that's what that type of suggestion would be, is that wherever the Word of God says Israel, dab it with a little whiteout, and then write the church there. And I'm going to respectfully, lovingly suggest to you that, that if that's what the Lord wanted it to say, that's what it would say. I'm going to also go way out on a limb and I'm going to stretch a hamstring that there are churches in this zip code that may have sang the same hymns that we just sang that believe that the modern state of Israel is just a secular state formed because of guilt in the wake of the Holocaust. It has nothing to do with those countless times that the the Lord uses everlasting or never again or the predicted prophetic scriptures that he's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth and reestablish them. What happened in 1948 on May 14th was a mere coincidence, and it had nothing to do with what was scripturally foretold, and the modern state of Israel has nothing to do with what the Bible, Bible predicts. And to that, I also lovingly, respectfully say, you better be really careful with that, because you're suggesting that either God is a liar or he can't keep his promises, and he is not capable of lying, and he always keeps his promises. And if we would just dare to stretch out of our comfort zone and see what has happened to what is now the modern state of Israel, whether it be the pages of Ezekiel. Pastor Keith drove through places at 45, 50 miles an hour in a bus that were the the fulfillment of the promises in Ezekiel. He drove by vineyards and plantations that not even a 100 years ago were desolate wasteland. He drove by cities, in cities, that just barely a hundred years ago were uninhabited, and they were the place that jackals would go. It is, uh, it, so we just need to be very careful. Let's just take a look at, at biblical. If I, if, let's do it again. If I ask, if I, no, let's stay on biblical. So if I'm going to ask you again this time, and just shout it out. When I say Israel, and you think the Jewish people, what is something biblically that comes to mind? God's First thing out, the first word that's spoken, chosen. There's a very popular TV show, self-funded, top in the charts, sweeping, you know, the, the ratings. It's got some people wringing their hands. Some pastors are gleeful that people are opening up their Bible to see, did that story really happen like that? Was that character really in the Bible? And other pastors are like, wow, they're taking way too much artistic license. But the bottom line is, and it doesn't matter to me where you land on that, chosen for what? That's the rhetorical question. Chosen for what? Because the answer to that question, chosen for what, is what we are grafted into through the mercies of Jesus Christ. Chosen for what? Jacob. You have to remember that his granddad, Abraham was plucked out of a society of pagans, of idol worshipers, and God chose Abraham to begin, begin, be the beginning of the family of God, to become the, the Hebrew people. But Jacob, let's just take a look here and see what it says. Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and you have, and I have not cast you away. But again, okay, we know that he's chosen them, but chosen for what? I'm going to ask you to do a homework assignment tonight. Write this down because we're not going to go through this line by line because we don't have the time. But just go home and just for fun, 
reread Isaiah 40 through 45. It'll be exhilarating to you. It will, it starts out with comfort my people. And then the Lord goes into a rhetorical mock to the reader as just like he does in Romans 11 when he's asked, how is all of Israel going to be saved? In Romans 11. In, in Isaiah 40, it's almost as though somebody's asking him, why did you, why are you choosing them? And what does he say? He says, he asks a rhetorical question. Does the God, does God seek your counsel? Who has, who formed the earth? Who gives him, who, who directs his spirit? And he, and he sets it up. It's almost like if, 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 if you, I don't know how many of you have ever played ball, but if you're gonna, if you're about ready to swing at a pitch, if somebody goes like this, that's one thing. But the Lord isn't doing that. The Lord's not doing this. The Lord's doing, the Lord's doing this on, on Isaiah 40 because something big is about to be delivered in, in 41 through 45. And that is the answer. So it doesn't matter where you are in the chosen, read those and you're going to see what the real nature of that is. How many of you have ever, and now we're going to take a little bird walk. How many of you have ever seen the movie or the play Fiddler on the Roof? If you haven't, it's 50 years old this year. If you haven't, it's important. How many of you think that you're, how many of you are kind of interested in history like World War II? How many of you think you're kind of a, okay, well, and, and, and in tow with understanding World War II, uh, there's one of the chapters or facets of that is the Holocaust, yes? And the reality is, is that if you, if you don't own, do, if you do not understand the pogroms of World War I, there's no possibility that you can understand the Holocaust of World War II. And, and Fiddler on the Roof takes humor to give you the backdrop and the context of the horrific nature of Jew hatred, of anti-Semitism that was sweeping across Europe. Hitler didn't create anti-Semitism for the Holocaust. He just busted out a book of matches and, and just struck it to the kindling that had been there from the pogroms of Eastern Europe in World War I. And, and as it's sweeping across World War I, this Jewish family in the, in the played fiddler on the roof, they realize it's coming their way and they're going to have to pack up and leave in the, and the key figure, the comic figure in, in the story Fiddler on the Roof is Tevya. And he's this classic old, you know, he's a father, he, he's, he wishes that he had sons, but he keeps having daughters, and so he, you know, so he's, he's, He's trying to figure out how he's going to get them married off, and he doesn't have any sons to help him with his dairy business, and he's leading his wagon to go make dairy deliveries, and his horse goes lame, which means that everything in his wagon is going to spoil, and he's not going to make any revenue till that horse's foot is healed. And he stops, and he kind of takes off his hat, and I'm not going to do the Yiddish accent because I'll botch it up. But he looks up to the, the sky, and he says, God, I know that we're the chosen people. But sometimes, can't you choose somebody else? And in that one statement, he encapsulates 3,000 years of hatred against the Jewish people. From Pharaoh, to Haman in the book of Esther, to Hitler, and Hamas, and Hezbollah. And when he says, can't you choose somebody else? And in that line, in that part of that statement... He includes 1,900 years of hatred of Jews under the banner of Christendom. The Holocaust, the pogroms, the Inquisitions, the Crusades, all happened 
by the hands of under the by within reach of under the watchful eyes of people that claim to be Christians. And there's somebody in this room right now, probably Pastor Keith or one of the elders that wants to gently, respectfully say, Randy, you know, let's hit the time mount button on that, buddy. You know as well as I do that the people that did those things, they didn't have the heart or mind of Christ. So I don't know that that's so fair to lump that into Christian history. And to that, I respectfully say, go tell that to the Jewish community. Because as far as they're concerned, we're the successors of that legacy until we prove otherwise. And that is what our organization is trying to do. Mark Twain said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. And if you've been paying attention, those champions of, of the Holocaust, those incidents of, of, of the Jewish people be in, this, in this year, in this season of wokeness and political correctness... The Jewish people are the last bastion of where you get a free pass. They, it is, it's not just, it's not just acceptable on some college campuses to be anti-Zionist, which is a veil for anti-Semitic, but it's, it's actually chic and fashionable. In fact, if you are pro-Israel, plan on having a target on your back. And so we are, we're not trying to rewrite history, but we are changing the trend. And we're going to ask you to just pop the hood on this organization and see if we might be, uh, if we might be a vehicle that you could use to, to amplify your voice to do something relevant. Truth is an attribute when you take a look at Israel. Truth is something that, uh, that Pastor Keith could tell you about because there are professors in universities. That would have our, it would teach our kids that the modern state of Israel is a bunch of land stealing territory expanding occupiers. And, and we can, we can, Rebecca, we can move it up to truth. And, uh, Pastor Keith was at the city of David a few decades ago. There were scholars with all kinds of letters behind their names said there was no such thing as King David. He was a mythical fictional character. And now they're unearthing the city of David. There are two major universities in Israel. When they started decades ago, they both launched archaeological divisions. One of them was set out to prove the Bible. The other one set out their archaeological division in Israel. Their mission purpose was to disprove the Bible. And guess what? They're using the Bible to understand what it is that they're unearthing. When you stick a shovel in the ground and all you can do is unearth archaeological evidence of your predecessors, of your ancestors, you're not occupying the land. You know what you'll find if somebody's occupying the land? You know what Russia's never going to do? Russia's never going to stick a spade in Crimea looking for evidence of Russian, you know, history there. They're never going to stick a they're never going to stick a spade in the Ukraine because Occupiers don't do archaeological digs in land to prove that they've been there before because they know they haven't been there before. It's, a, it's an elementary problem, but it seems to be a major issue on our university campuses. Another, pos, another attribute is light. You take a look at Israel and it, it is light. It's promised. You can't, talk, you can't talk about Israel biblically. You can't go to a conference. You can't buy a DVD. If people still buy DVDs today, you can't download something or you can't buy a book without somebody at some point dropping Genesis 12, 3. I'll bless those that bless thee. I'll curse thee that curse thee. One of the most mistranslated lines in your Bible, by the way. But here's the light part. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How is it possible that a people group, ethnically, world population-wise, 
don't even make up one quarter of 1% of the world population, not even 0.25, 0.22, not even one quarter of 1% of the world population, land mass a little smaller than the state of New Jersey, but they lead the parade when it comes to do with Nobel Prizes on medicine, agriculture, energy, environment, communication. A few years ago, I was asked to do a, a presentation just on the motivation of Israeli innovation, and I included Ice Cure, which at that time, just about four years ago, was in the testing stages of using liquid hydrogen, cryoblation, to kill t- cancer tumors in breast cancer. Well, that sounds like a pie in the sky. Three years ago, I included in my presentation that it had been approved for testing and in the United States. Two years ago, a woman in my church was going through our Israel course and heard about IceCure in, in, in the innovation part, in, the, all, in, all you, in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And she said, I wish that I'd heard about that. My Stanford doctor says that chemotherapy is my only option. And the person facilitating said, well, let's get you, let's, let's, why don't you get him in touch with IceCure? She did, and, the, and her doctor said, no, 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 that's like snake oil. And the person doing the, the study said, no, 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 let's, take, let's get a hold of IceCure. She calls Israel. They put her together with a clinic in Arizona. A 35, 40-minute outpatient procedure, and she's cancer-free because of technology. I used to say if there's ever going to be a cure for cancer, it'll probably come out of Israel. Guess what? There's a cure for cancer, and it's coming out of Israel. And we could go on and on and on. But that second line, I'll curse the curse that's not what it translates to. It translates more accurately to, I will curse that esteems you lightly. In other words, I'll curse those that don't take you seriously, which suggests that the author takes it pretty seriously. Resilient is another word. And resilient is a word that isn't a godly attribute unless you try to explain why Israel is resilient and God is the only explanation that you can come up with. In the 16th century, Frederick the Great of Prussia asked his physician, you know, give me proof that God exists. And he said, the Jews, sire. Resilience. In the the Passover, when we're celebrating in Easter, uh, every Jewish family around the world is celebrating Passover. And and around every table, they say a prayer. And it's, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it goes something like this. And it is, and it is, and it is this covenant that has stood for our forefathers and us, for not just one enemy has stood against us to wipe us out, but in every generation there have been those who have stood against us to wipe us out. And the Holy One, blessed be he, saves us by their hands. Of course, it starts with the book of Exodus and Pharaoh, but it goes every generation. And I just would suggest to you, if you're a Christian parent, and you've got your kids, and we know that as we raise our kids that there are conversations that are harder to have and necessary to have, uh, but we have to calculate the right age, you know, our, the age and the maturity of our kids before we, you know, kind of lay this information on them. Imagine being a Jewish parent. How old is your kid when they're old enough to tell them, oh, by the way, just because you're you, there's going to be people that want to kill you. If you tell them that a little bit too young, they're going to be wetting the bed again. And that's a dilemma and a reality of, of life that we as Christians don't really fully appreciate. Isaiah 43, 
chosen for what? You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses that I am God. They were chosen to be God's witnesses that God is God alone. As you read those passages in Isaiah 40 through 45, he's rhetorically talking about the absurdity of idols, the futility of idols. If you're really rich, you're going to have one made out of silver or gold. If you're not so rich, you're going to have one made out of stone or wood. And and these people are seeking their direction. And he's saying, go ask your hunk of wood to tell you when he said what was going to happen. And then it happened like he said it was going to happen. And then he could point back and he said, see, what I said was going to happen happened just like I said it was. Because it'll never happen. And as he's describing the futility of idols, he's explaining to us how we can tell that he's God. And he's using Israel. There are some people that think, you know, Israel has got done and passed. The Lord is using Israel to reveal and glorify himself through restoring the desolate wastelands like the Garden of Eden and in the inhabited cities and gathering them from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 66, when he, when Israel was, was reestablished, he brought her from the four corners of the earth on May 14th. Israel declares her, her her statehood on May 15th. She goes to war. All five neighbors around her want to cast every last Jew into the sea. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. You don't give birth before you go into labor. But a nation was born in a day, and the and the very at that moment she went into 18 months of labor as her neighbors sought to cast every last Jew into the sea. And the only reason that she survived that war and every ongoing chapter of it till today is because the Lord has been her deliverer. If I told you that this was an excerpt from something that the president of Iran, the former president Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, say that fast three times, uh, if I told you that, that this is something that he said, you'd say, yeah, I think it is. Oh, God, do not remain. Well, let's leap to what he would say. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. That's Psalm 83. And it is, it is as relevant and, and applicable today as it was when it was written. Israel is hope. We are on the cusp right now. Uh, we, can, we can advance to hope. Israel, we are on the cusp right now of seeing tr- uh, you know, truces and peace treaties being forged between Arab neighbors. Already several of them are, are in, in process. And Israel is eternal. We take a look at uh, Genesis 15, and I won't unpack it. Uh, you can go ahead and go there. And I skipped over family, but uh, Rebecca stopped me. We are family. Uh, we are grafted in to, through the mercies of Jesus Christ. When I meet with, when I meet with a, a president of a rabbinical association, or or with uh, you know the the president of a Jewish federation, uh, I tell them right up. You know what I believe. I believe one of your guys from Nazareth was the Messiah. I don't make a secret for it. I don't make an apology for it. I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And I don't make a secret, you know, or apology about that. And sometimes I'll even, for good measure, 
say, I hope that you see him reflected in me when I don't know that you're watching. But the the reality is that if you take a look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, you're going to see biblically how we're grafted into those passages that to, that we are chosen if all we have to do is accept him that we are chosen to be his witness that he alone is god by the way that we live our life in first peter three we're, we are commanded to be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us how are they going to ask to us why we're why we seem so hopeful if it's not reflecting from us when we don't know that other people are watching us when things are not going so well, when we're in the middle of a pandemic and yet we still are smiling and we're still consistent, we're still stable and we're not turning devices for relief, people see that steadiness and that hope and they inquire about it. Then that's because we've been grafted in just like there's probably people in this room that are adopted or have adopted. And what is it when that person says, when that person wants to question why they were even in need of being adopted? What is the, what's the constant response? We chose you. We chose you. If some of the branches have been broken off, and this is Romans eleven seventeen through 18. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among all the others, now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior for those from those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And that's a warning that to the early church that... that that, that the early church did not heed. And that's why we have those 1,900 years of not-so-good history. And Israel being eternal, Amos sums it up. They will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them. They'll plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. They will plant Israel in their... I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. That's Amos 9. The Prime Minister of Israel used that passage of Scripture to close an address at the United Nations. And I am I, almost positive that even the Arab leaders almost wanted to stand and join in the standing ovation. But when he says never again, when the Lord says never again, the Lord in whom your faith rests, he's talking about his chosen people. When he says never again, how long do you think he means? Do you think, until, do you think he means until he changes his mind? So let's advance, uh, Rebecca, let's go on. This is the neighborhood that Israel lives in. Next slide. This is, this is the neighborhood. This is a gnarly piece of geography about the size of New Jersey. Largest body of water, the Dead Sea. Largest natural resource, limestone rock. Are you getting the picture? But, but she gets one-eighth. You know, we're a bit removed from it, but if you go a little bit southwest of here, you have the Navajo Nation, the largest native reservation in the country. Arizona, New Mexico goes up into Utah. And, and Israel gets one-eighth of the rainfall that the Navajo Nation gets. But they export their agriculture. When I first started going to Israel 15 years, 18 years ago, there were some showers in some hotels where you had to put a coin in the meter to get the shower to keep going because water was so scarce. And today they boastfully say, take the longest shower you want because they don't just, they don't, they don't just save water, they create water. They desalinate it, they reclaim it, and they generate it out of thin air. 
Next slide. It has led to technology, whether it's the cancer technology, whether it's the water technology and all the things in between, drip irrigation, greenhouse technology, has brought all of her Arab neighbors, almost all of them, to the negotiating table to figure out how they can employ that kind of technology as well. And so it's led to, to innovation diplomacy. Let's skip right to the map. To the next one, the map. And North Dakota has been uh, has been has really been joining the uh, the course. That's an inaccurate map. It shows three states that have not seen the merit of 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 combating anti-Semitism, but North Dakota just did. Largely, uh, your your pastor was no small part of that, by the way, in 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 passing that legislation. I'm going to give you a short overview video, and then we're going to hand this back to your pastor and. Uh, and invite you to see if this is a, a ministry you want to be part of. Let me begin by saying that you are a very special group of people. You are defenders of Zion, fulfilling the command given to all believers in every age and dispensation. There have been 10 pro-Israel actions in states across the country. Christians United for Israel was responsible for 75%. We led on 75% of those initiatives. We have advanced anti-BDS laws in Utah, in West Virginia, in Idaho. That's an organization we have worked with educators, with Department of Education to craft actual curricula, strategize with educators at the local level to say, how can we make this work into what you are already doing? The Kingdom of Bahrain and Christians United for Israel share enough ideals and priorities to make it obvious that we should work more closely with one another. I'd like to thank you on behalf of myself and the entire Israel Defense Forces for your support and for your ongoing friendship. It's one o'clock in the morning and I'm standing in Bin Yagirian Airport in Tel Aviv watching a miracle in process. A plane load of Ukraine Jews have just landed in the safe haven of Israel. Thank you to you, to Q5, to all your many supporters that came to the call, that came to the rescue. Welcome to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and Kufai is back in Israel. Ultimately, when someone watches an episode of the Kufai Weekly, we want them to be informed, we want them to be educated, but we also want it to activate them into action. I'm going to give away to every person here a manuscript from start to finish about Israel. We're going to tell you how to get started in having a night to honor Israel. First, you have to prepare your church by preaching and teaching on why Christians should support Israel. We need a generation of people to continue this legacy, and so that's what we want to be in our churches, in our different community programs. When you go to a college campus, you will hear about BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanction. We just had a Kufine campus conference, the SALT conference. We had a room filled with students who were learning about the biblical basis for supporting Israel, how to combat the lies, everything that they will experience on their college campus. We thank you for friends of the Jewish people, friends of Israel, that have helped Israel and the Jewish people in such ways of magnitude that the tide of history will not wash them away, but they will be remembered eternally. We will continue to confront anti-Semitism in all of its forms wherever it may be found, whether it's in the schoolhouse, the church house, or the government. We are going to fight the good fight until the victory comes. We all know the truth. 
we know the real path to peace. We'll stay on that path. We'll encourage our leaders to do so. With all your help and prayers, I am confident the best is yet to come, and it will be truly incredible. We encourage our leaders to do so largely by email campaigns. In the book you were given is this card, and if you would bust it out right now, I'd Let be me grateful. begin by saying... Oh, and uh, we would be honored if you would consider using us as a megaphone, as a platform for your voice to... Uh, Let me begin by saying sure that, that you uh, are a very... If Pastor Hagee would stop interrupting me, and... Uh, but uh, but we would be honored, you know. And I'll just I'll, I'll put an exclamation mark on this and pass this back to Pastor Keith. Two years in uh, in 2007, we had a Holocaust survivor attend one of our our conferences, and a journalist very disrespectfully tried to badger her and said, "How does a man?" This is a woman wearing a short sleeve shirt so that her number was exposed. And with as much disrespect as is possible to put in one's voice inflection, this person confronts this Holocaust survivor and says, how does it make you feel to know that after all you survived, you do realize with Iran on the rise that your kids and grandkids may have to face the same thing? And without missing a beat, she said, it's not the same thing. We were alone that time, and we're not alone this time. And if that's something that you can join your voice to or lock your arms with, we would be honored to have you by our sides. Thank you for letting me be a guest in this house today.